farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Is direct drilling the way to go? How do you decide which of the manufacturers to go for? You maybe need a way to compare. What we're looking to find is which establishes better. We're looking at uh, root growth, how the seed can actually put out as many roots as possible, tiller numbers, grain sites, and we're looking at final yields. We keep hearing of costs spiralling upwards, but do the facts bear this out? The difference between the RPI and, and ag inflation in the 15 years of running this um, this process, the disparity there is, is significant for the first time. How has lambing gone? How are the crops and markets performing? All the answers on today's farming programme. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. A drop of rain wouldn't go amiss. We'll check the weather at the end of the programme. So how has lambing gone this year? I called in at Gelston Lamb and asked Chris Elkington that very question. Yes, Steve, um, we're coming to the end of it now. We are just about finished outdoor flock. We've got on really quite well. The weather's been kind. Nice dry time in March and April. So we've been able to turn lambs out fairly quickly and everything's gone pretty much according to plan. We've just had a few sort of big singles in the outdoor. It's just the nature of single lambs, really. They've got quite big and they caused a little bit of trouble for us. But, yeah, we haven't lost too many and we're getting through them now. So Good, good. And... Prices seem to be better this year. Yeah, prices have been brilliant. The job's really firm and they're extremely good trade. Now, you diversified into Galston lamb and you're selling through the internet, you're selling through your farm shop. You don't send anything off then to abattoir and through the market? No, so everything we produce goes through our butchery. We've been like that for two years now where we haven't sold a single lamb off farm it's all gone through the butchery uh, goes to our local abattoir in Grantham and then uh, back into our butchery where we cut it up and, and, and supply it and sell it on to our customers financially is that a better way to go do you think I think for a small farm like ourselves it, it was really the only thing to do you're in control of your sort of income if you like we've built a big customer base up over the years and I like to think we've got a good name you know, we're creating employment as well. We employ sort of three people now. So that's all a benefit to the local economy as well. And it'd be nice to get back to the shows again, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. We miss them a lot over these past two years. And they're a big part of the business. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to getting back going with those. Thanks, Chris. That's Chris Elkington from Gelston Lamb. Farmers in just about every sector are facing real cost pressures. You get the feeling that every time you place an order for anything, feed, fertiliser, fuel, the price has gone up again. But do the facts bear out those feelings? Well, according to the latest figures from Buying Group AF, very definitely yes. Matt Keeley is Head of Crop Inputs at AF. Matt, coming on top of high inflation last year, we've seen a scary six months. Yeah, very much so. I think the main surprise on that was the difference between the RPI and, and ag inflation in the 15 years of running this um, this process. The disparity there is, is significant for the first time. So the scary bit is we've got ag inflation of around 23% and RPI of under 6%. Yeah, correct. I mean, that's a combination of Brexit, pandemic and, and, and more recently the conflict in Ukraine and the pressure that's put across supply chains in all areas of agriculture. I mean, certainly from, from my perspective, fertiliser has been, been a huge uh, increase there with a threefold increase. It's eased back slightly now, but from a, a farmer's perspective, you're looking at £21,000 now for a load of fertiliser of ammonium nitrate versus £7,000 pretty much this time last year. And of course, fuel, animal feed all going much the same way. 
correct. What's happened recently is it's kind of split the agricultural communities. If you're a, an out-and-out arable farmer and you haven't sold your crops forward, you can capitalise on the unfortunate circumstances we've seen in Ukraine with futures prices, the top side of £300. But on the flip side of it, if you've got mouse to feed, be they two legs or four legs, you know, those guys are seeing a hike in feed costs. So it's split the industry. I saw a figure of which was quite startling and brought it into uh, into focus that for every hundred pounds you needed a year ago, you need one hundred and fifty just to run your business the same way now. That's quite frightening, isn't it? Very much so, and and that is you know one of the biggest problems we're facing with cash flow on farm. You need half as much money again to to do exactly the same thing as you were doing a year before, and some farms can 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 cope with that, some can't, and then it puts pressure on suppliers who get concerned about credit risks etc so we're having to look at it very carefully. Matt within Lincolnshire we're very heavily arable is there anything that an arable farmer particularly can do to help? I think we've got to go back to to, to farming as we did a long long time ago which is really understanding our, our soil profiles our soil health our varietal profiles and really micromanaging our fields on a, on a field by field basis and adopting some of the new technologies that are out there in terms of mapping, etc., and you know, variable rate fertilizer and agrochemical applications. I think it's accelerated the necessity with, you know, or the place we're going to have to be in um, come 2028. What's happened in the last six months is really, or really should be, pushing farmers to think a lot more about what they do, how they do it, and, and, and where they do it. All right. Matt Keeley, Head of Crop Inputs at AF, thanks for joining us on the farming programme today. Thank you very much. Virgin Money recently completed another of their regular agribusiness surveys. Does that paint a similar picture of concern? With his finger on the farming pulse for us, good morning to Head of Agriculture at Virgin Money, Brian Richardson. Good morning. I think the the headlines really are over a certain amount of uncertainty, particularly around Brexit and the policy emerging from that. I think starting to understand the sustainability agenda and the net zero agenda, but a bit of scratching of heads going on there in terms of how an individual farmer can approach it. And I think then generally the the journey of agriculture coming through COVID, perhaps a little bit more confidence in terms of prices and the understanding from suppliers, so supermarkets paying a fair price. But of course, now we move into uncertainty with what's happening in the East and where prices might go in the future and inflation. Overall, Brian, would you say the responses to the survey were positive, negative or somewhere in the middle? I think generally some fairly positive messages coming forward. I think just caveated with with that uncertainty over both policy and I think a little bit on the green agenda and what that's ultimately going to mean for farming. The survey started going out just as we were starting to see the very high impacts of gas prices and, and inflation coming through. We're at that sort of crossover period there. But generally, I'd say fairly positive. Farmers clearly seeing the challenges ahead and the need to be planning going forward and and requiring a bit more certainty in terms of of what that planning might need to be. All right, Brian. Thanks for joining us again. Great. Thanks very much for that. We'll turn from money to crops now with Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Good morning, Sean. It's getting a bit scary, isn't it, the way prices are going? Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. I know the cost of everything's going through the roof, isn't it? And it's not just for consumers as well. With farming, it's not just fertilisers like nitrogen, it's potash, phosphate, all the liquid foliar nutrition we use, plant protection products, insurance, diesel, gas, electricity... 
add to that the availability issues that we're having thanks to some of the Brexit issues, thanks to some of the formulation issues of the products in store. That means things like even Clormaquat, growth regulators, Shield, Glyphosate, not just short, but double or even treble the price they were this time last year, if you can even get hold of any. So you start to see that the perfect storm isn't just coming, it is actually already here. And the price being paid to farmers for their wheat, barley, rape, etc. looks very good on paper. But if you offset all of these additional costs against that, the input costs are making it not particularly good in practice. Add to that as well the cost of feed crops off the back of these prices to the poultry, beef, pig sectors, who all have their own issues from avian flu to no one manning the abattoirs and a lack of CO2 in the pig sector, for example. And behind the scenes, it's all getting into a little bit of a mess. Of course, consumers are only just starting to see any effect on the cost of their weekly shop. But I understand that there are once again a faction of idiots or a thicket, I believe is the collective noun for idiots, who are once again emptying all the supermarket shelves of dried pasta, tins of beans, tins of tomato and tins of potatoes. Loo roll will be next. It's absolutely incredible. The fact is that food costs money to produce. Farmers produce food and are more than capable of producing food, but it's costing a heck of a lot more to produce that food than it was this time last year. But it won't be the farmers that benefit, it'll be the retailers. You've got issues in Eastern Europe, they've yet to hit us here in the UK. But we're a farming nation, we're capable of growing 70% plus of what we need. So why then, when food is so vital, and at a time when world food security is under so much pressure, and millions upon millions are going to be devastated by hunger and starvation, thanks to Russia's actions, why then are we planting trees and putting solar panels and growing maize and other fuel crops on the 27% of the UK agricultural land which will and does grow food? Why not do all of these things on the other 73% of UK land where food cropping and arable production is not possible? If only we had a government and a collective public will to get behind farming and make sure our farmers are there to farm food land and prize food land above all else. Food is absolutely vital. We have to keep growing food on every inch of land that is capable of producing it. Taking quality arable land out of production for rewilding, tree planting and fuel crop production when there's over 14 million hectares of non-arable land out there is frankly wrong. Disgraceful. Right, there you go. On to agronomy then. Let's talk about those food crops. Winter wheat. The warm weather over the last week or so has seen big, big jumps in growth. It's all down to filicron. It's all down to temperature. You only have to look at the hedges to see how quickly they're growing now. And with leaf three now pushing out... T1 is getting to be upon us. As I said last week, though, with all crops, a drop of rain is becoming more and more urgent. I have fields really struggling to get hold of any applied nitrogen, and that's not going to get any better until we start to see some rain. I know there were some isolated showers, very, very isolated and local. Up to six mil fell in the county on Tuesday afternoon. Potterhamworth Fen got wet, Potterhamworth Village didn't. It's only a quarter of a mile apart. That's April showers for you, I suppose. Yellowrust, septoria, mildew, all poised and ready to rumble in the bottom of these crops but the heavy dews they're keeping these microclimates warm and moist in the base of these thicker bits in particular so don't just assume that just because it's dry overhead you can save a few quid on the t1 fungicide and just chuck a bit of teb and fulpet on it's a false economy you're trying to cover the next four weeks or so with that t1 so be sensible and account for the fact that septoria rust and all of those others are going to go through these crops faster than the sour plum once we do get a drop of rain 
T1's the cornerstone of the fungicide programme. Treat it with respect. I understand that some people, as I said, are struggling to get hold of things like Clormaquat unless they ordered it early. So there are some complications out there, but the smug faces of those who ordered early are going to be smirking again this morning. Winter Barley found some horns about to emerge on some on Thursday afternoon. So once again, check the label if you've got growth regulators in particular in any T1s that are still to go on. There's a bit of net blotch, bit of rust about, so make sure you're putting enough product in there and the right product to cover those diseases. Sugar beet emerging well, a little bit dry as I said, but many people drilled that little bit deeper just to account for the dry in the top of the profile and to get it away from the mice, who by the way, seem to be out in force this spring a lot of mice activity out there and actually plenty of skylark damage too on the small slowly growing plants bless them wonderful little birds plenty about again this spring they have to eat something though so a few beet cot leadens don't begrudge them that but do be careful with emerging sugar beet and the use of herbicides we have clean fields at the minute but a drop of rain and the serengeti bloom is going to hit lincolnshire very very quickly don't go on these crops if they're emerging and it's frosty don't apply beet sprays in temperatures over 21 degrees c that's not so much a about crop damage risk it's more about the sugar beet herbicides not working efficiently when you get in heat like that and a 21 degree air temperature you may well find that you've got a 35 degree soil surface temperature so evaporation comes into it as well pea and bean weevil pea and bean weevil everywhere but always looks worse than it is in peas and beans and plenty of trials out there to show that untreated versus treated yields they yield about the same so don't panic treat on a field by field basis and don't just blanket bomb the whole crop first flowers out in my winter beans with 20 degrees c as well over several days last week the odd brookid beetle starting to show up on my sticky traps now but i refer my honorable friends to the comment about controlling pea and bean weevil so plenty of swallows started to appear plenty of martins they'll be eating the pea and bean weevil and the brookid beetle everything's just that little bit better with the world when the swallows are back so let's see what the next seven days bring indeed thanks as ever sean it's may next sunday can you believe and that sees the launch of lincolnshire rural support network's mad may marathon raising awareness and funds for this excellent charity have you signed up i have I shall be doing a mile a day throughout May, even when I'm on holiday. And if you can spare a few quid to support LRSN, I have a Just Giving page at justgiving.com. Just search Steve's Mad May Marathon, all one word, Steve's Mad May Marathon, and thank you. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. A couple of weeks ago, Leadenham farmer Andrew Ward hosted a day where several manufacturers brought their machines and planted seed using the direct drilling technique. At the day, I spoke to agronomy services provider Agri's Fred Fowler and later to direct drill sceptic John O'Dixon. Fred, we've had a dozen or so manufacturers here at Agri iFarm Roy Ward Farms with their kit planting a couple of rows of seeds each. What are we trying to achieve here and how does it work? So basically every drill has got the same variety in, same seed lot, same dressing. It's all been sown at 400 seeds per metre squared so the drills are doing exactly the same. And what we're looking to find is which establishes better. We're looking at uh, root growth, how the seed can actually put out as many roots as possible, tiller numbers, grain sites, and we're looking at final yield. So all these crops have a proper uh, yield calculation at the end. We'll go through the combine on the yield map and then weighed on the on the weigh bridge in the yard. So basically we are seeing exactly which drill is going to outperform each other just purely by how it's put it in the ground, how it's put the seed in the ground. 
we're in a field fairly clayey soil here is that going to affect the outcome but it will it depend on where you are and what kind of soil you've you've got as to which one of these machines you might go for yeah i mean it, it completely completely varies as obviously today we've got um, we're looking at more at direct drill situations so we have we have time drills uh, and we have disc drills on this soil type as we know it, it's heavy clay which sometimes can mean time drills when it's wetter can probably cause a bit of bubbling and and the soil might not be in as good a state after the drills been through it as you'd like whereas a disc drill potentially today might outperform so it'd be really interesting to see going through the season how how each drill does perform you know we're, we're learning as much as anybody else and that's the whole thing that's why agri are involved in this because we want to be the best uh, we want to have the best advice and we think it's really important to do these these events to showcase that we are going outside the box you know it's not an easy easy situation what we're in now you look at these drill prices they're in excess of 100 grand it's a huge amount of money that farmers are having to invest in uh, it has to be the right decision. And all the, the, the different parts of the field that have been sowed with the different machines have been marked off. Will you be revisiting this through the season and then come harvest time you'll be able to assess the final results? So we'll be probably coming in here almost weekly doing various um, tests, if you like, and just comparing establishment percentage, root growth, tiller numbers. And so, yeah, we'll be continually coming throughout the crop throughout the season um, just to see how each, each plot is performing. All right, Fred, thank you. No, brilliant. Great to speak to you. Cheers. John O'Dixon grows spring barley, peas and winter wheat at Sunk Island on the Humber Estuary. John O, why have you stuck with traditional methods of planting? Because it works for us. We did the direct drilling back in the 1970s. You tried direct drilling back then. Why did you change back to the traditional way? Because we were suffering yield drops. Seven or eight years ago, we, uh, we decided we'd just do one field of spring barley direct drilled with a cross slot. Nothing against the cross slot. I just don't think our land was in the best of condition to get the root structure right for a growing crop. Now... You attended the direct drilling day that Andrew Ward organised a couple of weeks ago. Has that changed your mind at all? No. Fair enough. Straight answer to a straight but question. saying that, I will say one thing. Two or three of the drills did impress me. The one I didn't think would impress me did, and that was the Dale drill. What impressed you about it? The way it was punching into that solid land. So do you think you might consider direct drilling in the future or are you, is your mind made up you're going to stick with what you know? I don't think I would go more the direct drilling. I would probably go to strip till. OK, why? Because I think if you get it right on the strip till, which means then you would sow your cover crops through growing crops in June. Mm. Uh, and on this coast, cover crops need a good start. And going back to the direct drilling we did seven years ago, we put the cover crops in after a wheat crop, probably in August, end of August, and they never really established because they didn't have the time scale. So no to direct drilling, possibly strip till. Well, I think the jury's out in a lot of cases. I think if I was going to go full on direct drilling, this year would be the year to do it because all our fields are completely level. But you've also got to remember that we're using chicken manure on our stubbles and the only way to incorporate chicken manure on your stubbles is to plough it in properly. All right, Jono, many thanks. All right, Steve. Get back to your spraying. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> right. Bye, bye. 
We'll be revisiting the field where the trials are taking place in a few weeks and see how each planted strip's performing. Thanks to Jono and Fred and, of course, Andrew Ward for organising the day. To the markets we go now. Firstly, livestock from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth with some exciting top prices this week from Easter Monday's market. Excuse the pun. Starting with the prime cattle, which saw steers top at 268 pence per kilo and grossed 1,685 pounds for K. Chafer of Burley Marsh, while the heifers topped at 228 pence per kilo and grossed 1,137 pounds for J. Holden of Tetney. Moving on to the OTMs and cool cows. Starting with the OTMs, which topped at 200 pence per kilo and £1,319 for S. Renshaw, while the cool cows topped at 227 pence per kilo for N.C. Boulderston and £1,755 for Stuart Renshaw, which is a market record. This week also saw our third special sale of breeding and store cattle. Breeding bulls topped at 2,600 for Mamby Farms, while cows and calves topped at 1,620 pounds. In calf cows topped at 1,280 pounds, with store steers topping at 1,100 pounds and heifers topping at 1,290 pounds. Moving on to the sheep, just a couple of new season lambs on offer from Solaby Charolais topped at 333 pence per kilo and grossed 140 pounds per head. On to the prime hogs, slightly smaller show, however, a better show of meat forwards or an SQQ of 269.1 pence per kilo with a top of 289 pence per kilo for Danny Scaman of Ingham, while pounds per head was topped by Tom Hogg of Wintringham at 135 pound and 50 pence. Onto the cool ewes and an all-in average this week of 139 pound and 27 pence, which is just before pound dearer on the week, with a top for Jack Gratton at 187 pounds per head. Finally, this week, just a handful of ewes and lambs on offer, which saw an all-in per life average of 64 pound and 58 pence, to top for Jay Tacey of Louth, at £78 per life. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, both buyers and vendors. Tomorrow is our normal weekly market of prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep. For all marketing options, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And how have the grain markets performed this week? From Open Field, Fred South. Morning, Fred. Good morning, Steve. In this shortened week, we have seen global wheat futures lower, which seems a rare event of late. To put things into context though, we have made some major gains in the last two months and we are seeing this as a small pause for breath rather than a major correction. The Ukraine conflict continues with any hope of peaceful outcomes seemingly a while away. Ukrainian farmers are trying to plant spring crops with varying success. 20% complete is the figure being spoken about. We could soon be facing the reality that the main drilling window has been missed and Ukrainian exports for Harvest 22 will be very likely extremely limited. Plenty of talk from some market commentators that the spare stock will be in Russia. Some countries will clearly have their hand forced to buy, Egypt and Turkey being two major international wheat buyers that will switch back. Very quickly, the market driver is switching to watching weather. In short, we need a big harvest from the key global exporters to make up for the shortfall out of the Black Sea, and we are not off to a great start. The US have the wrong weather at the wrong time in the wrong states. Too wet to plant maize, too dry for winter wheat. Every Monday, the USDA will now publish data with reference to planting progress, but also crop development. Neither made good reading on Monday. Winter wheat conditions particularly look poor, although parts of the wheat belt has seen rain this week. One of the reasons why Chicago border trade wheat has dropped recently. South America 
are key players and the outlook for the next few weeks seems dry, which may not help every late planted maize crop. They do, however, seem in a much better position than a year ago, but remember stocks are still low. European crop ratings seem good, although we are now entering a key phase. It's not only in the UK that we need rain. Wheat plantings are lower by 4% year on year. This is from the largest EU producer and exporter of wheat. We are arguably seeing new crop grains coming to meet old crop bids. You could argue, in fact, that we are seeing a small rationing of demand on old crop. It has been very difficult to sell to a consumer this week, with most markets now focusing on July only. In reality, though, remember we are about to start moving May crop bought, so a huge amount will have been bought and sold at much lower prices. We may need to expect a few quiet weeks as traders draw breath domestically. Rapeseed values remain at historically high levels. Short term, it is all about very little supply and good demand. The sunflower issue in Ukraine has without doubt helped the ex-farm rape values considerably. There are some signs of return to higher planted areas though, France being a good example. We are also expecting to see a possible switch to even more beans if maize plantings keep getting delayed. In summary, we are quickly entering a critical phase for weather globally in the next six weeks and expect new crop markets to react accordingly. We need rain here in the UK, but when you look further afield, there are some serious question marks. The world needs higher production and we are some way from producing that just yet. I'll now move on to prices as a guide from Central Lincolnshire. Feed wheat, 316 X farm for June, 322 X farm for July. Feed barley, 307 X farm for June. Group 1 milling wheat, 345 X farm for June, 353 X farm for July. Oilseed rape, 834 X farm for May and 840 X farm for June. Thanks very much, Fred. How's the weather looking for the rest of Great British Beef Week then? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A little bit of rain expected this week, only a little by the looks of it. Generally a cooler week with winds from north to northeast all week and fairly high pressure. Cloudy skies and light rain for Monday and Tuesday, highs of 10 Celsius. Drier but staying cloudy midweek with daytime highs only in single figures and nighttime down to two or three. The weekends with more light rain and the wind picking up. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll look ahead to the first county show in the calendar at Newark and Lammer gets ever closer. And what are Lincolnshire young farmers up to? I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.